welcome to the 72nd Womanthology Podcast. My name is Fiona Tatton and I'll be your host. Womanthology is a digital magazine and professional community powered by female energy and ingenuity. We champion equal recognition and reward for everyone, sharing opportunities, ideas and a deep pool of collective wisdom, supporting each other to be unstoppable. In this our Women in Energy and Sustainability issue, I speak with Jazz Rabadia, MBE, Global Energy and Sustainability Expert. Jazz shares her career journey to date and why the energy and sustainability sector needs diversity of thought to ensure we're reducing energy consumption and minimising waste. A quick reminder that you sign up for the Womanthology newsletter by filling in your details on the front page of our website. That's womanthology.co.uk. You can also join our LinkedIn community by visiting linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash womanthology and find us on X, Instagram and Facebook. Welcome to the Womanthology podcast and we have Jazz Rabadia and she is a global energy and sustainability expert and by way of a bit of background, Jazz has taken part in Womanthology's written issues twice in the past. So that was in January 2018 and in February 2021. Her background is as a mechanical engineer and she now works in the global energy and sustainability field. So welcome, Jazz. Thank you so much. It seems that we talk every three years. Yeah, and I like the fact that we've got our little cycle that we work to. And a lot changes in those three years, Paulina. So maybe that's why. Yeah, I think so. Well, last time it was still COVID time, wasn't it? But look, we'll put that thought behind us and we'll think to the future about all things energy and sustainability. So I have got some questions which we are going to chat through with you today. So if it will be all right, could we start off by getting you to briefly talk us through your educational background and career to date? So what I'll also do in the show notes is I will include your previous two written pieces so people can get the full jazz effect. Yeah, nice. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. Really excited to be here. And as you alluded to, I think I'd start with, I studied mechanical engineering. So that's probably the beginning of my career, educational background, career histories. I've always been a really academic. So I've been good at passing exams. Always had a love for the science of this, math, but also really had a creative streak in me. So I love to design, to create, to make, to participate, I'd say. So whether that was at home, playing things like Lego or breaking things and then fixing them and making them better. I think I had this inherent engineer in me that was waiting to be unleashed. But in all honesty, I didn't really know a huge amount about engineering. And when it came to deciding from university perspective what I was going to do, the thing that struck me was actually there aren't many female engineers. And if I do study engineering, it will make me highly sought after, super employable. So it's a really great, and it's a really impressive degree to graduate with. So it wasn't really because I thought I want to be an engineer. It was more of the, hey, engineering sounds really impressive. It takes into consideration the subjects I enjoy, my chemistry, design. And I know it will contribute to making the world a better place in some way, shape, or form. So I hadn't really figured it all out then. I just thought, yeah, rather than pick a core science or a math topic to pursue I've got engineering will keep loads of doors open for me and that was the lack of logic behind the decision essentially well um, I think it's great because it's got you here today you're speaking with us now for sure and I think that 
It was only when I started actually getting under the skin of what is mechanical engineering that I really started to find my passion. And it wasn't until I took these two additional modules, one was energy management and one was renewable energy, where I thought this is how engineering could be applied in the real world and could be really useful for the future and can make a difference and make a real positive impact. So it's something that aligned with not just who I was, but also what I thought I could bring to the working world. And it was almost like that penny drop moment for me. It's like, yes, I could pursue this mechanical engineering degree and graduate, but it wasn't until I took energy and started opening up to the world of energy and sustainability as potential careers that I thought this is going to be my life's work. This is really meaningful work that aligns with my moral compass in terms of making the world a better place and playing a small part in contributing to that. And how does it feel to be a woman in it? Because it's pretty traditionally male dominated, the space that you're in. How do you feel about that? And how has that changed over time? Yeah. And I think one of the things that I really noticed when I first entered the sector is that there weren't many people that looked like me, sounded like me, et cetera, in the rooms that I was in. So I really set about my own mission to help try and change that. And it was around trying to attract and to encourage more, particularly young females, into energy and sustainability as a career choice. Because certainly when I was filling in my UCAS forms, I didn't think that my degree in mechanical engineering could one day result in a fruitful career in sustainability. In fact, that was some 15 years ago. Sustainability professionals didn't really exist. It was very energy focused. But even then, not many people were joining the energy industry on purpose. And I wanted to make people aware of how important these roles are and how many organizations are in need of professionals who can help reduce energy consumption, who can help address energy costs, who can build energy efficiency into programs. But these people were going to be really sought after. But there was a huge lack of awareness as to the fact that these careers even existed. So I set about my own personal mission to help change that. And it was because I wanted more people who looked like me, sounded like me, had come from the same background as me to enter jobs like this, because I thought it'd be really, really important to advocate for that change. Needed fresh, new ideas and thinking around the table. And yet it wasn't a career choice that many people would roll call, right? So you, you say, I want to be a lawyer. I want to be an accountant. I want to be maybe a footballer at the time, but that people didn't ever say, I want to be an energy and sustainability professional. And that's what I wanted to bring to the surface a little. So working in energy and sustainability, the types of things that people might be doing might be different for different types of organisations, but the remit will be to improve the sustainability footprint of the company and then reduce energy usage. Am I right in my understanding of the types of roles that are out there in the space? Yeah, it's definitely evolved over time, right? So I'd say, particularly in my career, it started us yeah, understanding the energy data. So what were we using? How were we using it? How could we use less of it in turn, helping to reduce footprint, but also helping to reduce cost. There's a real commercial angle to it. And also what was the right thing to do? So 15 years ago, what was the right thing to do was probably the afterthought. Now I feel like we're in a place which is much more centered around, we have a responsibility to do the right thing. How, and then it's like, what are we using? How do we use less? How can we use things more efficiently? How do we source things more responsibly? much more traceability as to where is this all coming from, how are we using it, and more accountability as a result. 
So it's a fascinating role in that you've got the technical side, but then you've also got the ESG, so environmental social governance side of it as well. So it's at the interaction really between those two things. That's a really interesting space to be, I'd imagine. Yeah, obviously I, I come from an engineering background, but the beauty of sustainability is that you don't need to be an engineer necessarily. I think it really adds another layer and a deeper, deeper perspective. But a lot of my role is centered around communication, influencing, engaging. How do we take other people on this journey? So yes, it can be a very technical aspect in terms of, hey, I've got building A and I want to make it more efficient, or I want to acquire this building. What do I need to consider in terms of energy and sustainability? Or perhaps I want to introduce this new element to the business. What are some of the sustainability or environmental impacts of taking on this new business model as an example so there's quite technical science from that perspective but it's also really around okay how am I going to engage a business or a decision maker that these are considerations that need to be made alongside other things that might be more important to them and I think that often the organizations I work in sustainability isn't their main cause or their main KPI and what I'm trying to constantly do is convince people, whether they're finance, operations, marketing, HR, just convince them that sustainability is important for the decisions that they're making. So sustainability can't just live within the five or six professionals in an organization that are tasked to addressing it. It has to live and breathe in all the different departments that make up an organization, literally from grassroots, from the floor, from if you're a retail business, from the warehouse and the back door, all the way up to the CEO. And why is diversity of thought so important in the energy and sustainability space? I think this is down to the fact that this space is now so new and so evolving and so reliant on new technologies, new thinking. It's the solutions that we're going to need for not just today, but also to guarantee our tomorrow. And I think that the only way we can truly address things fairly is by having good representation around the table for those that are responsible for making these decisions, whether that's at policy level, whether that's at an implementation level, whether that's at what will the solution look like level. You know, this is going to take people from all walks of life and from all backgrounds in terms of also from a disciplinary perspective. We just spoke about the fact that it takes engineers, it takes lawyers, it takes accountants, it takes marketeers, it takes all realms of an organization to bring these topics to life and to also be able to collectively action them. Absolutely. And in terms of the challenges that are being faced by energy and sustainability professionals today, what are the things that are keeping you awake at night in a professional sense, obviously? Yeah, I mean, it's constantly changing. And in the current climate, it's really challenging to say, hey, we want to do the right thing by people and the planet, but also we have to do the right thing by the P&L, right? So in a business setting, obviously you want to make profit for your shareholders, for your investors, for your employees. You want to be a commercially viable and profitable business. And I think professionals like me, we're going into these organizations saying, yes, we understand that, but how can you also do that while considering the impact that you're having on people, on your own people, the societies that you serve, but also the planet? And I think one of the most challenging things to do is to find that balance because sometimes it's a no-brainer and you can have your cake and eat it. But often what we're asking people to consider is 
not just the short-term costs, but also the long-term cost of not doing things. And that's the hard mindset shift to get people into because what we're being measured on as a business, as an organization, is your short-term gains. What are you delivering me this year? What is the profit this year? Not necessarily how climate resilient are you going to be in the next five to 10 years? And so I'd say one of the biggest challenges sustainability professionals are feeling today is that shifting of mindset between the timelines people are used to considering, i.e. short-term one to three years versus where we're thinking as sustainability professionals, which is what is the world going to look like in 10 to 20 years from now? How do we make sure our business is going to be fit for purpose in those 20, 30 years from now when we know the world is going to look different? Sure. And how is technology helping to create new solutions? I'd say when it comes to energy in particular, sustainability has been at the heart of the savings that have been made in energy consumption, but also in energy efficiency. You could probably relate this to your phone or your device. You see how with each year that passes, the iterations that are made in terms of it being faster, it being quicker, it being cheaper, it being more effective. It's that same mindset that's needed to solve our world's biggest challenge, which is how are we going to get energy more efficiently, cleaner? How do we use it more mindfully? Where is it being sourced? Like technology is going to be at the heart of the climate crisis. And yeah, it's again, why this diverse thinking and the diverse thought is going to be so important because it's not just going to be a single profession that solves this. So you could have the best technology in the world. If you're not able to market it to consumers or to end users, it's going to potentially fall flat on its face. So we need technology. We need legislation that's driving those technological advancements and supporting those technological advancements. We need marketing engagement and awareness to push through those technologies. We need scale so that these things can become affordable, readily available. I can't stress any more the fact that this is everyone's challenge to solve. And I think it's a really exciting one rather than an overwhelming one. I think this is a really exciting opportunity and moment in time for us to say, yeah, we've got all the tools. Actually, we've got all the tools available. What we now need to do is bring all the relevant people around the table to start making some really sensible decisions as to how we put those tools into action. I think you make a really interesting point as well about it being an opportunity and it's something that can actually engage a lot of people as well. I think on the consumer side of things, you think, oh, well, that's that's really difficult. That's really challenging. But look at change when it's legislated for. So using plastic bags, it used to be, oh, yeah, I'll just get a plastic bag and another plastic bag and another plastic bag. And then actually it changed and they started to charge for them. And then it became, oh, well, actually, I'll just bring my own or I've got a recyclable one here. I've got a bag for life, whatever, I'll use that. So I think part of it as well is, is behavior change in educating people about that as well, isn't it? Yeah, certainly in my professional career, I've never been at a stage where people are more educated on the topic. Don't get me wrong, there's still a huge amount of work to do. But 15 years ago, there was no Greta. There was no... Netflix documentaries or even celebrities talking about it on social media, it didn't exist. And I think that there is definitely this bigger movement as to things need to change. It's not okay. We are witnessing firsthand the effects of our operations on the planet. We can feel it. It's really tangible now. However, I think you make the point of not everybody knows exactly what they can do. And I think, again, this is back to the people are going to be at the heart of any sustainability strategy that you have. 
whether I'm thinking about that in a corporate setting or as the human race, people are going to be at the heart of it. And if we can educate them as to not just the why, but also the what and the how, that's the secret. I think that's the unlock. Because I think the why is more broadly understood why I need to do something different. But the what do I need to do and the how do I need to do it? We need to make that far simpler for people. I think you're absolutely right there. I saw a sustainability professional on LinkedIn and she was saying, we need to make it as straightforward as we can for people to make those good choices and the choices that are good for the planet. Yeah. And I think the irony is actually a lot of the solutions are taking us back to how we used to do things. So you mentioned plastic bags. I mean, paper bags were what people used to shop with. And now here we are back again, right? So I feel like we're doing almost like the full cycle of striving for speed and convenience, but then now being a little bit more thoughtful as to the impact that speed and convenience has on the planet. So Jazz, you were awarded an MBE very excitingly. Could you tell us about that and how that came about and what that meant to you? Is that actually nearly the anniversary of my investiture. So it pops up on my phone just the other day. Such a surreal moment. So recognized, I think, in the most incredible way and potently unexpected. So this was around the time where, as I mentioned earlier, I was really passionate about trying to change the face of energy and sustainability because it was, in all honesty, quite pale, male and stale. It was people who had been working in the oil and gas industry for a really long time. Those were the professionals that were in the rooms that I was in. And feel like I joined the industry by accident. If I hadn't chosen those courses, perhaps I wouldn't have ended up there. But I wanted people to join it on purpose and, and with a purpose. And so my tactic as to how I was going to address that was sharing what I did and being really open and again, perhaps slightly ahead of the social media presence that we see now, but really starting to showcase, hey, this is what a career in energy and sustainability looks like. Here's what my day in energy looks like. Here is how fulfilling this role can be. Here are the skills that I'm applying. Here's how engineering is really important. Here's how you could look like me and get a job like this. It's essentially a narrative that I was trying to push to A, raise the awareness of the fact that energy sustainability is a career that people should be seeking out. And secondly, that it will make a genuine difference. It's a really fulfilling job to have. And you'll see the difference that you're making almost instantly because I was making reductions to energy consumption. And then the next week I could see how that had appeared on the bill. We've just saved that supermarket 500 pounds as an example. So it was really, really fulfilling. And yeah, I was doing lots of talk. I was going out to schools, reaching out to children. I was a STEM ambassador. Was literally just any opportunity I could get to write or to speak about the importance of not just STEM skills, so science, tech, engineering, and maths, but also how that relates to energy sustainability and knowing how important it was going to be in the future, just trying to engage as many people as I could as possible. And I think over time that got noticed. I was really active in the energy professional bodies. So whether that was IMEKI, Energy Institute, I was a real active member because I'm striving for this, like, hey, we need to change how we are attracting people. We need to create a pipeline of future energy professionals. And so even at a professional body level, starting to influence how they were seeking their next layer of membership. Still to this day, don't know who put me forward to the nomination process or recognized me. But yeah, eventually, because of all of the work that I was doing in this space, I was recognized with an MBE. 
for my services to energy and sustainability and also promoting diversity in the STEM area. Well, huge congratulations for that. I'd like to say it was me. So let's just say it was me. <laughs> yeah, taking part in more mythology, that's where they get all their inspiration from, I find. So. <laughs> but exactly that, though, it, it was literally t- through taking part in things like this. If you can get people to hear your story and for one of those to be inspired, for me, that was a worthwhile hour spent, essentially. Well, honestly, without people like you sharing your stories, there wouldn't be a woman's logic. So genuinely, right back at you, big thanks to you and to everybody else who supports us as well in what we do. So thank you so much. If somebody's really passionate about this stuff, they've heard you on the podcast and they're like, I want to do something in this space. What types of things might they do? How might they find out more? I mean, great question. I think that most people traditionally would think, oh, if I want a job in energy, I've got to go work for one of the energy firms which of course is an option and there'll be lots of opportunities within those firms. I think the thing is energy sustainability is so, so vast from how it's produced to how it's used to how you can use it differently and better. Like that whole value chain is so big. And in that value chain, you'll need all sorts of different kinds of professionals. So I think the beauty of this sector is you can actually come from legal, finance, engineering, you can have an interest in any one of those things, even marketing, communications, and still find a role for yourself. I think the thing that would be worth the individual to consider is, yeah, do they want to work for an energy organization? So whether that's an energy supplier, an energy producer, or an energy technology company. So somebody that's really focused on producing the new technology that's going to be more efficient. Or the route that I've taken, which is, Actually, think about it. Energy, it literally powers our world. And so every single organization will be using energy, will be producing waste, will have packaging, will have responsible sourcing practices that they would need to consider, will have an employee base who are really focused on making sure that the business is doing the right thing. So you can either work for an energy company or you can work for any company, essentially, and champion sustainability practices within that company. And that's the route that I've taken in my career. And I've always found that more rewarding because I'm going into an organization who don't get the world that I come from and I'm helping educate, engage and inspire. And I think that's the bit, certainly from my perspective, that I love doing whilst applying, of course, my energy, sustainability, technical knowledge. But I think the translation of that really technical stuff into everyday language that people can understand and be inspired by. That's what I love about what I do. And that really shines through as well, Jazz. So saluting you. And the final question now. So what is coming up next for you? What are you looking forward to? What are you excited about? Can be in work, can be out of work, can be anything you want. I'm looking forward to our conversation in three years from now, actually. (laughs) Me too. And so what the world will look like then. But I think where I'm focusing my efforts now, which is really bringing me lots of learning and growing opportunities is I actually sit on a board and it's almost like that step up from helping an organization at a very practical level to make changes to then actually having a much more helicopter view of an organization and understanding how do we bring energy, sustainability, diversity, like social inclusion, like all of these topics to life when it comes to developing a company's three to five year strategy. So really much more hands-off, but also a huge opportunity to potentially influence and have impact 
at a much larger scale. So that's a really exciting area for me at the moment. Broadening my own knowledge and scope, but also having much more exposure to business and governance and strategy. I think for me, what's coming up is continued learning. I love learning about new things, about new people, about new places. And so continuing to seek adventure in, in all aspects of my life, personal and professional. Well, Jad, what an amazing place to leave that. But so I'm looking forward very much again to, to get yeah, to our, our conversation in three years time. So let's get that one in the diary now. Yeah, perfect. I mean, let's also do it sooner than then, but we can earmark 2027 for the official conversation. So I'm just going to say it's been a, the greatest pleasure speaking with you. Always a pleasure. And just thank you so much for all your help and all your support. And so we are looking forward to, we'll get booked in for the next time to say, well, or hopefully less than three years. But thank you so much, Jazz Rabat. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Fiona, for continuing to champion all things women in science engineering. In this section of the show, we hear about the contributors who have shared their stories in our new written issue. The stories include Nancy Shearhoot, Head Gardener for the National Trust-supported Castlefield Viaduct, shares her journey from occupational therapist to horticulturalist and the work she's done alongside colleagues and volunteers to cultivate a transformational sky garden in the heart of Manchester. Sophie Walker is co-founder of Disposal, a UK-based waste management software company leading the charge for the green tech revolution. Innovate UK Women in Innovation Award winner Sophie discusses developing software and data systems to help businesses better understand material flows and make more sustainable choices. Dr Nina Vajia, Assistant Professor in Astronautics and Spacecraft Engineering at the University of Southampton, shares how a fiction novel concept evolved into prototypes and a mission to power the future with space-based solar power. Do check out our website, womanthology.co.uk, to read the full stories. Sadly, that's all we have time for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, if you want to support what we do, then share the link for the show on social media and also follow the show. Your feedback is really important, so please do rate and review the show in your podcast app. Join us for the next podcast episode and written issue when we follow up on our recent Inclusion Thought Leaders event ahead of International Women's Day and Womanthology's 10th birthday. 